and the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Verse five, then the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard and he did not let the people go. So here we see this fifth plague coming upon Egypt. It's kind of the original mad cow disease here, all right? It's uh, back in 1985 there in England, you've all remember the, the story uh, where it just sent everybody in a frenzy. It put these cows in a frenzy, this mad cow disease, where many of these cattle began to drop dead and it brought a lot of panic for a long time for people, especially as it began to, uh, to jump from cattle to people. But here we see, as the Lord says in, at the anniversary, this is a very severe pestilence, all right? This is going to hit them hard. There's, there's no bull about the magnitude of this here. <laughs> and so, as mentioned now, Right At the beginning here, as I mentioned earlier, the Israelites are called to serve God. They're his people, all right? And they're called to serve God, not Pharaoh. The people were to worship God and give him glory. So God wants Pharaoh or, or warns Pharaoh that if he still tries to hold on to them, God is gonna take far more from them. God's gonna do something that's gonna be even more detrimental to you in wiping out their livestock. It's interesting that so many people in the world and those who live in sin try so hard to hold on to what they feel is going to help them or bring them some kind of, uh, of, of satisfaction or joy and yet it only ends up taking far more from them. Maybe you've experienced people like that in your life where you've seen them just so kind of holding on to the things of sin, that they're actually giving up far more. You know, it's interesting that the, the um, oh, I forget what, what country, country in Africa, where they, they discovered this way to catch monkeys. They will go and they'll put an orange in a jar so that when the monkey comes along and he grabs a hold of that orange, he wants that orange so bad, but yet he can put his hand in the jar, but he can't take his hand back out now once he's holding on to that orange. Doesn't fit. And yet that monkey will not let go of that orange for the life of him because he wants that so bad, even if it means his capture. And that's how they've learned how they can catch monkeys. And it's true for a lot of us. We're, we're willing and, and desiring sometimes to hold on to sin so much that we don't want to let go of it. Little do we know, though, how much it's ravaging us and taking far more from us. And Pharaoh is not willing to give an inch here. And it's going to take far more from Pharaoh is going to experience this very clearly. So in trying to hold on to the Israelites, the Egyptians are going to lose many of their livestock, their cattle, horses, it says donkeys, camels, oxen, and sheep. John Davis explains, he says, such a plague would have a grave economic consequence in all the land of Egypt because oxen were depended upon for heavy labor and agriculture. Camels, donkeys, and horses were used largely for transportation Cattle not only provided milk, but were very much an integral part of worship in the land of Egypt. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the economic losses on this occasion must have affected Pharaoh greatly because he kept large numbers of cattle under his control. This suggests then that the plagues gradually 
increased in their severity. Not only was the fifth plague the first to bring death, but it was also the first to destroy Pharaoh's personal property. This was only fair. If Pharaoh would not let go of God's property, then he would suffer the loss of his own. And his losses were mounting as his punishment became more intense. Whereas, remember the plague of, of the gnats earlier were attributed merely to the finger of God. Here the plague of livestock was sent by, now it says, the hand of the Lord in verse 3. Now a couple significant miracles are also evident in more than just seeing the livestock killed off. First we see the specificity of the timing of this plague. Because God says that this is going to happen, he says, tomorrow there in verse 5. This is going to happen tomorrow. This is not some kind of random, you know, overflow of perhaps the, the, all the dead frogs getting piled up and disease kind of coming. It wasn't this sort of thing that just naturally progressed. It's like, this is going to happen tomorrow because this is going to be not just some natural occurrence from things that have happened previously, but this is going to be the hand of the Lord. He knows exactly when it's going to happen. And so it says the Lord appointed a set time, a set time. This is done by the Lord's hand the lord will do this thing in the land it says god has all things in perfect order and control doesn't he he's got it all laid out and secondly the other kind of interesting miracle in all this is that again there was a distinction made between the egyptians and those of israel those that were still dwelling in in, in goshen the israelites they didn't have any of their livestock taken from them they weren't affected it says in verse four so again this is not just some mere coincidence. This was the Lord protecting those who are his. And I, I pray that we understand that well, that God knows clearly who are his and he'll be with them to bring about his provision and protection. We never need to fear when we are walking with the Lord, when we're putting our trust in the Lord. Uh, and, and it's sad when I hear that sometimes from Christians today that get worried as we feel like, oh boy, it sure feels like we're, you know, entering into the last days. And, and then there's some Christians that believe, well, are we going to go through tribulation? Oh no, I'm really worried about that. I'm panicked. God knows who are his. And God's able to protect you, preserve you, provide for you, meet every one of your needs. God's a good God and we do not have to live in fear or worry of what is to come. And God is revealing that very clearly here with the Israelites being kept safe from all that's coming down upon Egypt. Though Israel's living in Egypt, they're in Goshen, they're protected. God is drawing that line because he knows exactly who are his. Now, it's interesting that we read there in verse six, right? It says that all the livestock of Egypt died. Yet, if, if we're to jump down to verse 19, you'll see um, that send now and gather your livestock. In another play that's going to come, suddenly they have livestock again. What, what's happening here? How is their livestock still around if all of them died? Well, it's believed that this plague perhaps affected only the animals that were out in the field. Look at verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field. So perhaps this is a plague that just hit those that were outside. Some of them maybe had their cattle uh, at different times inside, whether it be in a, a barn or covering. So it's perhaps that only the cattle that were outside were affected because it's evident that there's still livestock in a upcoming plague here. So some are spared. Some say that perhaps that term all was not meant to speak of all in number, but all in type, meaning that all kinds of livestock were affected 
uh, by this. I, I would hold to the first view that perhaps verse 3, saying just those that were out in the field. Anyways, this plague uh, didn't just hit them economically, it hit them right at the heart of this false religion and the different deities that we've been saying they worshipped as Egypt had a, a plurality of gods steeped in idolatry there in Egypt. Cows were very sacred and worshipped there. Who do you think, uh, or why do you think when the Israelites were, you know, brought out and they're in their wilderness journey, as Moses is taking a little bit too long up on Mount Sinai, and they're thinking, I don't think Moses is coming back. Let's, let's make a God for us. And they form a golden calf. Where they get this from? That would have been from the time in Egypt as they saw the worship of cows there. Some Egyptians worshiped the bull, which they viewed as a fertility figure, the great inseminator imbued with the potency and vitality of life. Cults dedicated to the bull were common throughout Egypt. There was Bucus, the sacred bull of Hermantes, and Nevis, who was worshipped as Heliopolis. Sometimes bulls were considered to embody the gods Ta and Ra, but the chief bull was Apis. At the temple in Memphis, priests maintained a sacred enclosure where they kept a live bull considered to be this incarnation of Apis. So when that venerable bull died, he was given an elaborate burial. It was a big ceremony. Archaeologists have discovered funeral niches for hundreds of these bulls near Memphis. Then there was also the goddesses um, that they worshipped. Isis, the queen of the gods, was generally depicted with cow horns on her head. Similarly, the goddess Hathor. Many believe this is the, the main god that was kind of you know, attacked here. But the goddess Hathor was represented with the head of a cow, sometimes with the sun between her two horns. Hathor was a goddess of love and beauty, motherhood and fertility. And one of her sacred functions was to protect Pharaoh. And on occasion, she's depicted as a cow suckling the king for nourishment. So this is kind of what they worship there in Egypt. So God says, all right, you want to worship cows? You know, I'll give you some corpses here that you're going to be able to worship. I can do you any good, obviously. But interesting that we read in all these things that are, is, is unfolding. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And, and it says even in verse 7 that Pharaoh sent. And he not even, in other words, he sent people to go and see, is it really that Israel's not affected by this? That God's people, the ones that are saying, let us go, they're unaffected by this. Pharaoh went and gathered evidence to see if God was truly drawing a distinction between his people and the Egyptians. He's seen it now, and he's getting evidence of God's supernatural protection of Israel. And yet Pharaoh, although seeing the evidence, continues to reject God. It tells us in Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. See, Pharaoh is just willfully walking in, in defiance and in ignorance. And we're seeing here that it's bringing this blindness to his heart. Though he's seeing evidence of God's hand at work. There's no other way to, to say it, to, to think, well, how come their livestock is all okay and ours isn't? Clearly, their God is greater than our gods. Because our, you'd think our cow gods would step in and go, oh, you're messing with my people now. Like, no way. you think that if the cow gods had something, they'd be stepping in and going, no, no, 
You can take out the chickens, leave the cows alone, right? You don't, don't touch us. But they're all dead. Their gods had nothing. And the God of Israel obviously was showing his might and his strength. And yet Pharaoh still will not believe. He's, he's walking in willful ignorance, defiance, and he's hardening his heart in all these things. Interesting how these plagues are going to progress in severity leading up to the ninth plague of darkness. Very telling of the darkness that, that Pharaoh himself is, is walking in here. Now, as we've been seeing, um, mentioned this last week, but these plagues they're looking at follow a, a pattern, a pattern of, of threes. The first, fourth, and seventh plague, Moses is told to, to rise up early and meet Pharaoh. Perhaps uh, a couple of them he's mentioned that he's down by the water, perhaps where he's worshiping the God of the Nile, as we talked about uh, previously. So he's told to go and meet uh, Pharaoh, go up early in the morning. But then the next set of three, the second, fifth, and eighth plague, Moses told to go into Pharaoh, perhaps there in the very palace where Pharaoh was. And then the third, sixth, and ninth plagues are all performed without any warning at all. There's no conversation. There's no, Pharaoh, let my people go. And so we see this interesting kind of pattern that God is, is doing here. And then the 10th plague, of course, stands all alone as it's the kind of mother load of them all here and taking out uh, the firstborn. So the sixth plague now, verse eight, says this. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it'll become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it'll cause boils that break out in sores on man and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But, verse 12, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So Moses and Aaron here, they're calling out to take ashes. Take ashes from the furnace. This could very well be the furnaces that were used for Israel to bake the bricks in their labor towards Pharaoh and, and there in Egypt, which means God is now taking the burden and symbol of suffering of Israel and making it a burden and source of suffering to the Egyptians. The very means that brought grief and sorrow to Israel is gonna be the means to inch them closer to their deliverance. I find that so intriguing that God oftentimes works through and allows suffering and hardship to further carry out his purposes and his plans. And, and we see that so well in this whole narrative of Israel being delivered out of, out of Egypt. Now, this time with this plague, the sixth plague, you know, as previously the magicians would come and they'd try to perform their, their little, you know, enchantments and their little, you know, sleight of hand, whatever it was, you know, and they'd perform these, well, now they can't even come before Moses and say, hey, let me give this a try. That, that was pretty cool. I like that. Throw some ash up in the air. And suddenly we, we got boiled. Let me, let's try. They don't even, they can't even do this now because they're so affected by this. They've got boils on themselves. They're, they're like, they can't even move now. They're just like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going before Moses. I am in pain right now. And these boils, we're not sure exactly 
uh, what this was. This was some kind of skin you know, irritation to them, breaking out in some kind of sores. And you know what that's like. It doesn't take a big one to just be painful, and let alone having it all over your body. And so these guys are in pain. They're not able to come and do anything. Nothing that the enemy can do is at all a match for God. So this plague also now would have prevented the Egyptians and, and particularly the priests from going into the temple for their kind of false worship and, and, and religious practices that they would be involved in. They were now prevented. This, this didn't just kind of attack some of the gods. This prevented them from carrying out any kind of worship now as they were seen as unclean. They were compromised in this way because of these boils. And so they weren't even able to go into the temples any longer. And again, in all this, it tells us there that Pharaoh's heart continues to be hardened only this time. And for the first time, we read, it's not Pharaoh that hardened his heart, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Now that can be a very troubling verse to some, to think, how, how can that be? What's going on? And, and I think just to cover this briefly, because you could really spend a lot of time on this, but I don't think we need to look at this as though the Lord hardened his heart against Pharaoh's choices. We can oftentimes read it like, oh, so Pharaoh has no, no say in the matter? That if he wanted to repent, it didn't matter because the Lord was just going to harden his heart? Is that what's, no, it's not so much that the Lord is hardening his heart against Pharaoh's choice, but the, that the Lord rather is just simply confirming what Pharaoh has already decided in his own heart. And in Romans 1, we read three times in Romans 1 that God gave them over to a, a debased mind or to carry out the things that they were choosing to walk in. God was calling people to repentance, but it gets to a point where people are so steeped in sin that they don't want anything else, and God eventually just confirms that, says, okay, I'm gonna give you over to what you are already choosing for yourself. So I think God isn't gracious and drawn. I, I mean, look at this whole song and dance we've been going through. God is giving Pharaoh time after time to repent, and he will not. He's, he could come and just say, Pharaoh, you got one chance. Let my people go or else. But he gives them all these chances. Say, Pharaoh, are, are, are you gonna soften your heart? Are you gonna repent? And eventually he gets to a point where God just simply hands him over and says, okay, going to let you continue on in, in what you are choosing and deciding for yourself. This was Pharaoh's state and his fate here now because of what he's chosen. Well, verse 13, we look at the seventh plague now. It says there in verse 13, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. So again, there's that, there's that request there. Pharaoh's God graciously again, giving this opportunity here. Verse 14, for at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there's none like me in all the earth. Now, if I'd stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I've raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet, verse 17, as yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. 
Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. Verse 20. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses, but he who did not regard the word of the Lord left this, his servants and his livestock in the field. Now, I love that there in verse 15, because again, God is letting Pharaoh know that he's been showing mercy to him, right? God says, Pharaoh, man, if you only knew, if, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people, with pestilence, man, you would have been a goner long ago. If I had exercised my full display of power, oh my goodness, you would not be able to stand. God's been showing mercy to him. But now the Lord says, I'm gonna send all my plagues, and he says, to your very heart, verse 14. That's an interesting way of saying it, isn't it? I'm gonna send all my plagues to your very heart. What, what is meant by that? Well, God wants Pharaoh to know in his heart that he is indeed the Lord and there is none like him because Pharaoh has still been exalting himself against God's people as, as God pointed out in verse 17. As yet, you exalt yourself against my people. You're the one that's viewing yourself as God here, as the one that's in control. But God says, I'm gonna send all my plagues against your heart so that you will see and know that I and I alone and the one that's in control. And there's only one God. Paul quotes um, Exodus 9, verse 16. There in Romans 9, 17 and 18, an interesting passage. And he quotes that passage to show that God works through the hard hearts of men to reveal his power and glory. Pharaoh is giving God an opportunity to display his power and his might. It's not like that, that God is saying, well, I'm gonna make you do this. It's because Pharaoh's doing this, God says, I'm gonna work through that. I'm gonna work through that to put my power and glory on display. You know, we have one of two options, don't we? We can resist the Lord and suffer through, uh, suffer through as his will is carried out regardless. Okay, option one, resist the Lord and just suffer through even as his will is carried out, or option two, we submit to the Lord and enjoy bringing glory to him, which is going to happen either way. Don't you see that with Pharaoh? It's like, Pharaoh, okay, have it your way. Remain hard-hearted. I'm gonna, I'm gonna display my might and my power, but it's gonna be very miserable for you. Or you can submit and let your life bring praise and glory to God, which is going to be to your pleasure and to his glory, because it's what we've been created to do. One way is blessing, the other is a burden, and Pharaoh is choosing very unwisely here. I pray that we recognize the joy and the blessing of submitting to the Lord and living out these lives for the glory of God. That means that however God wants to do that, if it's, if it's bringing me through a, a trial, or through a circumstance that I wouldn't particularly choose for myself, but yet brings glory to God, then I should be all the more w ready to say, 
yeah, God, let's do it. After all, if we're, if we're truly submitting these lives to him and, and dying to self, that should, that should not be a problem for us. Say, God, if you're getting glorified in this situation, through this circumstance in my life, then that's gonna be to my greatest joy because I'm fulfilling what I've been created to do. That's the attitude we, we can have in these things. Now, it's, it's interesting there because after six plagues, some of the people are beginning to see that the Lord is not someone to take lightly. Some of the Egyptians, it says, servants of Pharaoh actually feared the word of the Lord. I love that. They feared the word of the Lord in verse 20. They began to see that God's somebody that you can take at his word. <laughs> they know that what God says, God is gonna do, right? He's already proven that. You can't override or, or control that in any way because God is the one that's in control. So some of these people, even servants of Pharaoh, took the proper precautions now. It's interesting how some today can experience trial after trial in their lives. And, and sometimes it's directly linked to their disregard of God's word and walking in disobedience to it. And they wonder why life has been so difficult or lacking in joy and stability. Because you're, you're failing to uphold God's word. You're failing to walk in obedience to God's word oftentimes. Yet with these here that listened to the word, it tells us there, verse 20, they received it, they revered it, and they responded to it. They took action. And what did it do? It brought safety, protection, and blessing for them. Even those in, in Pharaoh's court. Very interesting. Well, verse 22 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy, and there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. I love that. God, again, protecting, preserving his people, making that distinction. God is good. Now, just imagine, I mean, what this would have been like, this, this hail raining down, such as never has been seen before in Egypt, it tells us. Like this is the, the storm, not just of the, the century, the storm of the millennia, I think you could say. Thunder, hail, and, and fire, fire shooting to the ground. I mean, this is cool. That's kind of stuff you see in a, in a movie and you're going, oh, come on, how absurd. And you're going, this is what's happening here in Egypt. God's doing this. This is not normal stuff, right? This has got to be pretty evident that God is carrying this out, that God's at work. And not only do we see this happening here on a historical level, but we see it happening on a prophetic level, or we read about it happening again on a prophetic level, when once again, God begins to judge a world that's in opposition to him there in Revelation. Egypt stands, remember, as that type of the world. Pharaoh stands as that type of the Antichrist, and we will see a time again in a future day 
when a world begins to just completely so uh, stand opposed to God and a new world leader, the Antichrist is going to rise and God's wrath is going to unfold again. It tells us in Revelation 16, verse 19 to 21, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great. So again in Revelation we see once more hailstones coming about a, a talent in, in weight. That's pretty significant, isn't it? That's half of uh, two talents. So just to give you an idea of what <laughs> that measurement is. Uh, many believe about 100 pounds is a talent. About 100 pound sized hailstones falling down upon men during the tribulation. And that's what we're talking about there in Revelation 16. It's a tribulation period. That's amazing. That's crazy. And, and I, I don't know, I, I can't imagine what the people in Egypt, are they experiencing much the same thing as this plague of God? It's, it's interesting that these 10 plagues all have parallels to what's recorded in Revelation during the tribulation period. We see so many uh, of the same things that God did in Egypt of the plagues that he'll do in the tribulation period again as he go through the book of Revelation. Very interesting. And there will be two representatives, once again, as Moses and Aaron go and stand before Pharaoh to seek to draw in repentance. There'll be two witnesses in the tribulation that are gonna seek to draw people again to repentance, to turn to God. In the tribulation, God will have a people protected, again, just as Israel and Goshen, once again, spared from the hail here. Very interesting. Well, verse 27, and Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, all right, I've sinned this time. Uh, he's dodged the hailstones, all right, he's gotten around them, it's like playing a game of Frogger or something, dodged the hailstones. He says, I've sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there'll be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Verse 31, now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck for their late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So Pharaoh is clearly beginning to see that the Lord is right in all he does. And he is indeed Pharaoh, uh, uh, powerful, sorry. I've seen this time, the Lord is righteous, my people are wicked. Uh, he's, he's making the right sounds here. <laughs> he's saying the right things, but yet it's not true repentance. It sounds, it sounds like he's coming to repentance, but this repentance has not penetrated the heart. He's looking to save face and not do an about face. And that's what repentance is all about. Is that I'm gonna turn from my, my way of thinking. I'm gonna turn from my 
course of direction and I'm going to go in God's way. I'm going to completely do an about face and say, God, you're right. You're the one I need to submit to and follow. Pharaoh's saying all the right things, but this hasn't penetrated to the heart yet. Pharaoh wants to be free from the consequences of sin, but not give up the life of sin. That's the difference. And there are many people today that have cried out, cried out for the Lord to spare them, but not spare them from sin, but spare them from the fallout, the consequences, the harm of sin. That's not true repentance. True repentance is saying, God, I recognize your way is better, and I've been going my own way. I need to turn away from my life of sin and follow your way, because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Pharaoh has not done that. Because as soon as the problem subsided, what do we read there, verse 34? And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. So Pharaoh just wanted to continue on in that. And he continued to harden his heart and reject God's mercy and grace. As it was being extended to him time and time again, Pharaoh yet sinned more and just turned away from what God was desiring to do. Pharaoh is an example of all, or to all, of what happens to a person who's determined to resist the work of God. Don't let yourself reach that point where you, your hardness of heart prevents you from moving toward God because it gets harder and harder to hear him and easier and easier to resist him when you follow that example of Pharaoh. And many people sadly have just completely turned their hearts hard against God where they continue to resist and resist and resist till it gets to a point where they can no longer even hear the voice of the Lord drawing them, calling them to where it's just completely tuned out. God's giving every person opportunity. Don't push that because you never know when you have just hardened your heart to the point where it just no longer can be softened again. Oh, I thank the Lord that there's always opportunity while we have breath, but we do understand that a person like Pharaoh that hardens and hardens and hardens their heart gets to a point where they just will refuse to turn to the Lord. Chapter 10 here, verse one, moving into the eighth plague, that of locusts, it says in verse one, now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh for I've hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I've done in Egypt and my signs which I've done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So God desires here now for all these things that are taking place to be kind of that spiritual heritage for upcoming generations. He says, I want you to tell these things, in verse two, in the hearing of your son and your son's son. I want you to pass on these things that you're seeing God do, that they might have that spiritual foundation and heritage that they grew up knowing and hearing the greatness of God. Oh, it's, it's so that people can hear what God has done so that they are encouraged to keep pressing on in the present. Because we serve the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Pass on the great things God has done for you so that it encourages people to continue to move forward in all that God has for them today. So Moses, verse three, Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to, the, said to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, 
Behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts in your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Wow. Locust, to begin. I mean, we don't have to deal with this kind of stuff to this degree here uh, where we live, but locusts are an absolute destructive force that wipe out everything in their path. Scientists report that the daily consumption of a locust equals its own weight. That may not sound like much. However, a full-scale swarm covers several hundred square miles with between 100 and 200 million locusts per mile. John Davis writes, the locust is perhaps nature's most awesome example of the collective destructive power of a species. An animal, or sorry, an adult uh, locust weighs at a maximum two grams and its combined destructive force can lead thousands of people with famine for years. That's pretty significant. And we've seen that throughout the Bible where locusts have just been destructive. They're, they're used as that kind of uh, example, again, just that, that judgment of God that just you know, wipes everything out. Now, Pharaoh's servants, again, are, are we've seen previously, they're bringing their livestock in. They're like, we're not going to let anything happen to these guys. We know what God says uh, God does. And now, again, they're beginning to realize that they're fighting a losing battle. Because they go and they plead with Pharaoh there in verse 7. <laughs> they're like, Pharaoh, just let them go already. Why are you hanging on? He, do you still have more stuff that you want to lose? Still have more stuff? And, and notice they say, have you, and this is just kind of comical, do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Take a look around, Pharaoh. Just look out from your palace and see there's not much left out there. Why are you still fighting and resisting against this God when we've seen what he is able to do? But that is, Exactly the deception of sin, isn't it? When we begin to let sin have a hold of our life, it truly blinds us to the destructive work that it does in our life. We think we're getting by and that perhaps sin isn't, isn't damaging. It, it's, it's okay. I, I'm able to manage this. I'm able to control this. But we fail to see how Satan has blinded us to the destructive force that it brings into our lives. And that's the only purpose that Satan has. Listen, he's not, he's not trying to make you feel happy. He's not trying to bring some joy into your life. Oh, just try this. It's going to really make a difference for you. Oh, just, just go ahead and, and, and do this. It's going to really be enjoyable. Satan is not trying to make you happy. He's simply out to destroy you. And we get so blinded sometimes to think that sin is okay. It's just a little one. It's just a little thing. It's not going to really make a big difference. And we get blinded from seeing the damage it's wreaking in our lives. Don't mess around with it. Don't play around with it. Pharaoh keeps resisting, hardening his heart. And his servants are saying, do you not yet see that Egypt is destroyed? 
Can you not see this for yourself? Because we all see it. It's all pretty plain to us. But you keep pushing through. Don't mess around with sin. It'll not be mastered. But it'll master you and destroy you. Verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We'll go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. This is not Pharaoh saying, Well, the Lord be with you. This is like, Oh man, if you think I'm going to let all of you go, Oh, the, the Lord better be with you because it's going to be bad. I'm going to come again. This is Pharaoh threatening them. If all of you think you're going, he says in verse 7, Not so. Go now, you who are men. And serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. See, Pharaoh wants to control how things are all going to go down here. And he's not willing to give up power to the very one that holds all power, who's made it very plain to Pharaoh and all in Egypt. So Pharaoh tries to compromise now with who's going to go with Moses. He wants the woman and the children to stay back. You go ahead, just the men. You go and, and worship your God. But Worship of God is to be a family thing. And parents, you have a tremendous ministry right there before your family. Don't leave your kids out from the things of God. Take them along on that spiritual journey with you. Don't hope they receive these things through osmosis. Speak it out to them. Train up your children to be worshipers of God. Because Satan is going to do all he can to bring you into that compromise. To tell you that, oh, it's more important for your kids to socialize together in sports on Sunday than go to church or, or they need to stay current with the latest trends so that they can just fit in. Satan's going to do all he can to bring compromise into your life and into your family that's meant only to keep your children away from that joint worship of the Lord together. We don't need to fit in. We need to stand out as people who serve the Lord. We don't need to follow the, the course of this world. We need to follow what, what God has told us to do. Worship together as a, as a family. Don't exclude your kids from those things. Don't let, the, don't let the enemy come in and tell you, oh, it'll be far better for you if you let them do this or you let them go there and compromise in that time of worship together. Pharaoh seeking to do that with Moses. Then it says in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 16, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, okay, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. And this time I might mean it. Now, therefore... <laughs> Please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord 
And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not, o- not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Now, the gods, Isis and Seth, were two such gods that were believed to be protector of the crops. And again, God is making his point that these false gods are completely impotent. They are unable to do anything to help because they don't exist. Plain and simple. Stop putting your trust in things that have no power. And it's getting kind of ridiculous that Pharaoh thinks now that he can just keep coming in and acting like he's really turning over a new leaf now, right? He's still not responding in true biblical repentance. He's more so trying to manipulate the situation so as to have Moses pray simply for the locust to be taken away. Okay, uh, I have, you know, it says, I have sinned against the Lord and against you. Please forgive my sin only this once, as though it's like he's not done any other sin or he's not gonna sin anymore. Just forgive this, just, just this one time. That's all I need. Again, just trying to manipulate and control the whole situation so as just to get rid of the locusts, not really to say, I'm willing to, follow the Lord in this. And amazingly though, Moses prays and the Lord graciously acts. God is so gracious in all this and yet it provides opportunity for God to continue to display his greatness. Ninth plague, darkness, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you have spoken well, I will never see your face again. So here darkness hits, and this is, again, another direct hit against their god, Ra, who is believed to be this sun god, the, the, the giver of light. And this was a unique darkness, wasn't it? Because this is now a darkness, it says in verse 21, that could be felt. I don't know what that's like. I don't want to find out either, because this is not a, a fun situation to be in. I don't know if you've ever been in just complete darkness where you can't see a person standing two inches in front of you. I remember being in, uh, doing some cave exploring with a friend of mine. We were out in, in uh, West Virginia and we went into some crazy big caves and, and you get climbing in, you're going in through small, and also you go into big areas and then small areas. And we got in there pretty far and we would turn off our flashlights when we were in there and you just could not see a thing. There was just an absence of light altogether. We got pretty free because we, we thought our lights were starting to go out a little bit, starting to flicker, and we're like, we are so far in, and we don't know, and we were struggling to find our way out. Lights were almost going out. We, that was fearing for my life at that point. I was like, I'm gonna be discovered as a skeleton in the cave, just like, you know, 
Gilligan's Island or something. Not going to be fun, but we obviously got out, so it's great. Okay. <laughs> but to be in just this absence of light, and, and you know, light is not just a physical property. This is, uh, you know, the very character and aspect of God's character, because 1 John 1, 5 says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So it's as though in this plague, God is revealing to the people of Egypt what it's like to be apart from him. What life is like living in absence of God. This darkness comes, and it's darkness that can be felt. Hell, in, in scripture, the lake of fire is referred to as that place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not a place to just, you know, live in your sin forever. Some people think, oh, hell, it'll be fine. I'll just be partying with my friends. No, this is a place where you're going to experience life apart from God, apart from that love and grace, and it's just going to be the, the absence there uh, and just complete darkness, outer darkness and and weeping and gnashing of teeth it's not going to be pleasant by any means and these people in egypt now are just experiencing this from this plague that god is is doing where suddenly light is gone and it's something that is this almost supernatural thing where they're just feeling it and again another distinction is made because those uh the israelites in goshen there's light in their dwellings we don't know if they're permitted just to you know burn a candle, or if this is some, again, supernatural light that God is providing as God is illuminating their way. We're not sure exactly, but there's a distinction made. And Israel is not in darkness. So Pharaoh comes now again with his fourth compromise, this time asking for the livestock to be left behind. Okay, Moses, you can go. You can take your woman and children. I hear you now, but leave your livestock. I mean, Pharaoh's looking for some kind of collateral with them. And looking just to kind of control the situation. But again, livestock are going to be very instrumental for the worship of God. These are compromises that we have to guard ourselves against today. The world would say, oh, you know what? Go and worship your God, but you can retain these possessions for your own enjoyment. Don't give up these things. You've earned them. You can go ahead and worship God, but then still, you know, kind of enjoy the worship of these other things. But Jesus says, right, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, it's not wrong to own things. That's not what we're talking about here. It's okay to have things, but as long as things don't have you to where you have a light hold on these things and that your worship of God is maintained above these other things. So most says, livestock are coming. They're gonna be a part of our worship, actually. So the showdown between Moses and Pharaoh here at the end of chapter 10, comes to an end. But God is going to have one more display of his power that will finally bring Pharaoh to his knees. We're going to go through chapter 11 real quick. It's a short chapter. And here's where this last play, the death of the firstborn, is kind of made known and announced. We don't see it yet, but it's made known. It says in, in verse 1 of chapter 11, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and the sight of the people. So these verses now, verses one to three of chapter 11 are, are 
parenthetical verses because Moses did have one last message to communicate to Pharaoh. Remember, he ended chapter 10 saying, you've spoken well, I'll never see your face again. Well, it's believed he hasn't left Pharaoh yet, but we're getting some parenthetical verses here uh, before he leaves the presence of Pharaoh. Um, and, and amazingly, what we're seeing here is that God is sure that Israel's gonna be taken care of, that they're gonna receive you know, back pay for all their years of labor, that they're not gonna go out of your empty handed, that God's gonna take care of them. And, and interesting, Moses, it, it says here, he was highly revered. Uh, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of the people there. As Pharaoh desired to be the one that was highly revered and worshiped as God, it's Moses that has kind of the respect of the people. Something he, he gained in and through living a life committed to God gained far more than he ever would by staying in the palace. It's very interesting. We never need to doubt God coming through for us, providing for us, protecting us. He's gonna do that as you just walk in faithfulness to him and what he's called you to do. So then Moses said in verse four, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall the dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Dog's not just gonna, dog's not gonna make a sound. There's gonna be no trouble for those in Israel during this last plague. In verse eight, all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out and all the people who follow you. After that, I'll go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. So this announcement now doesn't come with any conditions to Pharaoh. Like, Pharaoh, let my people go. And if you don't, this, no, this is, there's no conditions any longer. This is straight up gonna happen because of Pharaoh's already obstinate heart that he's, displayed sadly in his hardened heart he not only hurt himself but many others were affected through throughout all the plagues but now it's going to hit even closer to home as his very son his firstborn is going to perish this is again that followed a sin to what extent is your stubbornness or sin costing you it's affecting you now but who else might it be hurting because sin will inevitably hurt those who you love. Better to humble yourself before God rather than have him humble you. And Pharaoh is, again, choosing very poorly. And he's gonna suffer the consequences of that. But the Lord said to Moses, verse nine, Pharaoh will not heed you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Ten plagues, but none of them are in vain. <laughs> this is not God trying to soften Pharaoh's heart without success. No, this was the means for God to multiply his wonders in Egypt, that all may simply know that he is the Lord, and there's no other. That's what it's all about here living life to the glory of God that his might and power might be on full display. You know, if you ever feel like your life is plagued 
Be sure to humble yourself before God, but also understand that it might just be the means that God uses to put his glory on display in and through your life. Your plagues can become praise when we understand that God's purposes are coming to fruition, that God is faithful and that God is good. And though you might be in a season where you're wondering, God, why am I having to endure this? All we have to do is say, God, continue to strengthen me, take me through this, and may it be used for your glory and your praise. Don't be plagued by what's happening. Use it as opportunities to praise God because God in all these things is saying, people are gonna see and know that I am God and that I and I alone am God. There's no other. And his wonders will be multiplied in and through your life in all that you go through, as it was here in Egypt. So, 10 plagues. Next time, a couple weeks, we're gonna look at the great Passover, chapter 12. We'll get in that. Worship team, would you close us in a song here? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight here that we can just come together and, and worship you, God. And as we've seen here tonight, oh, we've seen so much tonight. But Lord, let us see clearly that, God, you do all things for one reason, for your praise and glory. You don't exist for us, we exist for you. And I pray that we would humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the, the greatness of this living life for you because there's no greater joy than we'll experience than seeing you glorified in and through our lives. That's where our enjoyment comes from and so, God, would you do that? Lord, we're not looking for trials and tribulations, but we know, God, that you work through them. And when we see that you're at work through them, we can have a peace in the midst of the storm because we know you're with us and you're carrying out your purposes. So may we trust you and live faithfully for you in all that we do. Strengthen us, God. Whether there's some here tonight that maybe are feeling plagued, they're feeling beat down, I pray, God, that tonight you would just pick them up and reveal again just your love for them, that your, your grace is sufficient in our weakness. Would you revive and strengthen those here tonight that need that touch from you? And may we be surrendered to your will and say, God, let my life be used just to the glory and praise of you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.